4 podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ribera in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plants, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hop Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello, Brewing Buddies, and welcome to another sesh on the Hop 4 podcast. Do you remember that Green Day song, Nice Guys Finished Last, from their 1997 album Nimrod? No? I don't know. I mean, Dookie was their best album, wasn't it, really? Insomniac was pretty good. What was I saying? Nice Guys Finished Last. What a tedious link. Sometimes I come up with these tedious links, but it is Friday. My missus is out at a hen I thought I'd do something fun like record my podcast and get ahead with the week over some beers on a Friday night, probably when you were down the pub or seeing some friends sat in a garden somewhere. But there you go. Nice guys finished last. Why the tedious link? With skills like that, I should be on BBC Radio 1, shouldn't I? Today, we're talking to Andy Parker from Elusive Brewing, who is, wait for it, tedious link alert, the nicest guy in beer. See what I did there? Told you it was a tedious link. In all seriousness, though, in light of a lot of the turmoil that craft beer has been facing at the moment, toxic work cultures, misogyny, bullying, harassment, golden cans that are actually made of brass, it's easy to think that everyone is a complete and utter tool. But actually, there are some really, really sound people in beer. And to be honest with you, most people are really sound. But unfortunately, a small minority seem to root for everyone else. And that small minority that do untold damage to people's lives. But I really want to focus on the positives just for a moment, because I've made some really solid friends in the world of beer. They're accepting, they're caring, they're understanding. When I've been at a low ebb, they've messaged me to say, how's it going? Can I help? You know, I'm here for you, mate. And... I just think it's brilliant. To be honest with you, most people have shared a similar kind of journey. I mean, you can often tell those who've had to really graph and scrimp and save their way to starting a brewery or beer business just because they're really passionate about doing it. And a lot of people share similar stories about moving away from being an accountant or working in the city or having some other job to go into this world of making beer and serving beer and being hospitable and I think it's fantastic. And that certainly is the story of Andy Parker, the founder of Elusive Brewing, his journey. 
Andy won a home brewing competition around six years ago, which had a large cash prize, relatively speaking. Obviously, we know that £5,000, as you'll hear, doesn't really go very far when starting a brewery. But at the time, you know, five grand, wow, you know. And he got to get his beer brewed and it just went from there. And I think it's absolutely lovely when you see people championing other people in this way, whether it's through competition or through mentoring or just drawing alongside people, very much in the way that you see the way that Cloud Wars have really taken Stacey from Rock Leopard or Lily Waite from Queer Brewing Projects into their wing and, and are really helping them. And as you'll hear on next week's show, where we talk to Kanaki, which is basically a collaborative of breweries such as Cigar City and Oscar Blues and a few others in the United States. I love it when breweries clump together and it's kind of like, I've got your back and you've got mine and, and let's let's learn from one another. So I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Andy, both on air and off air in some of the conversations we had to bookend our recording. He really is one of the nicest guys in beer. I definitely think you've earned that title, Andy, if you're listening to this. So I want to raise a toast to all the nice guys and girls in craft beer. Honestly, I could name so many of them and so many of you out there. And for a moment, I was tempted, but they always say you should never start a list because knowing me, I'd rattle off all these names and I'd forget somebody and they'd be listening and be like, you, you didn't mention me. So I went, but deep down inside, if you aren't and don't behave like a twat, would you please raise a glass with me to the nice people in the world of beer? Cheers. So I've just tried my black rye IPA, which is just waiting to be carved. And oh, I'm telling you, I'm bound to say this, but it is tasting good. And uh, I did the yeast trub dump, which looks interesting. If you've done a yeast trub dump of a dark beer, then, you know, some things are just better left to the imagination, aren't they? And uh, Saison as well, I've just tried that um, in tank, getting ready to put that into kegs. Oh, and that, again, tasting really, really good. I'm very, very pleased with these two beers. Hopefully I won't have the same issue that I had with the Keller beer, which I overcarbonated. Rookie error on my part. But there is one beer that I haven't ever tried. And it is from today's guest, Elusive Brewing, and it is their West Coast IPA Oregon Trail. Now, this beer is a little bit revered in some circles, and I must confess, I've uh, been looking forward to trying it. So after recording my interview with Andy, I placed an order for some, and through they came with a nice glass and a couple of other beers thrown in for good measure. So thanks for that, Andy. Really appreciate it. It was great chatting to you. But like they say, you really are the nicest guy in beer. So this classically styled West Coast IPA has Simcoe, Chinook, Columbus hops, all the big hitters combining to deliver a resinous profile with a citrus undertone. The bitterness helps to balance the light caramel of the malts. So I am going to crack this bad boy open and do a tasting. I've not done like a beer tasting on, oh, I say I've not done a beer tasting for a while. <laughs> I think I did one two episodes back. So yeah, beer tastings are becoming a regular feature on this. I wasn't sure whether to start the brewery shout-outs again or not. I enjoyed doing those and tasting the beers. And, but I'd, I'd love to know from you guys whether they were helpful and whether you actually bought any of the beers that I tried. Obviously, appreciate there's a lot of different beers to try. So I'm going to crack this open and let's just go for it, okay? Oh, no, it's going everywhere. I'm joking, joking. 
this is like audio at its best, isn't it? You just have to imagine there'd be a pouring sort of nice orangey, not quite orange, but not quite gold, somewhere in between hue, beautifully clear, um, with a massive head. So bottoms up, elusive bring, Oregon Trail. That's ah, crap, that. No, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's really... <laughs> so, no, it's not crap at all. It's really good. <laughs> That's an amazing beer. That is a really great beer. This um, love, yeah, the, there is that bitterness at the end. But before you get that bitterness, you get like almost like an orange apricot kind of flavour coming through. Yeah, it's it's deep, deep and sticky is how I would describe that. Do you know, with, with with description skills like that, I'm surprised that I haven't been on the judging panel for the World Beer Awards, okay? I might not be a sommelier or Cicerone, but like deep and sticky, come on. It's got a really big, chewy mouthfeel. It's not overly bitter, though. It's not like, although I say that, right at the end you get, just right in the back of your palate, that bitterness comes through. But the, you know, the, the elongated first taste elongated first taste that's a phrase another thought i'd say um it definitely has a fruitiness to it so it's a really really nice beer cheers andy and elusive brewing and thanks for that so on the podcast today we talk about everything elusive we talk about their journey uh, their friendship they have with siren craft literally just across the way from them we talk about how the pandemic has affected them and how they managed to pivot uh, pivot, pivot. If you see friends, you know what I'm talking about. And how they managed to pivot. And we share about their collaborations that they've done to celebrate their fifth birthday and just share their journey. I always think it's massively encouraging to hear other brewers' journeys, particularly when you're on your own journey and think, oh, yeah, I relate to that, or oh, I'm not mad, or whatever it is you think. So, so if you've never tried their beers, do check them out. They're fantastic beers. Obviously, I've just had Oregon Trail. I tried Spellbinder earlier, which is their coffee porter, 6%, which was really smooth and had that lovely coffee flavour without some of the acidity sometimes you get from coffee-infused beers. Just really, really delightful beers. So make sure you check them out, maybe even to accompany this episode. But before you do, it's time, as usual, to pour another pint-sized necessary blur if you like the hot forward podcast then follow us on all the socials at hot forward beers subscribe to the show and leave us a review on itunes and spotify and all of the good podcasting platforms and visit our website hotforward.beer to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding and creative media for breweries bars bottle shops and supply chain businesses the Hot Four podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ribera in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. 
They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plant, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the Hot Four podcast, I'm joined by Andy Parker of Elusive Brewing, officially the nicest guy in beer. Hello. <laughs> How's it going? Good, thank you. Yeah, bit, uh, I'm just post second jabs. I'm a bit kind of shaky, fevery, but I'm doing all right, hanging in there. Yeah. So I'm really curious. How does one earn the title "the nicest man in beer"? <laughs> I think it was um, it was a there's a, a friend of mine called Andrew Drinkwater, who's Andrew underscore drinks on Twitter, and it was one kind of probably drunken Friday night tweet, which was when they did Twitter poll when they started and kind of who's the nicest man in beer and text. I think myself, Colin Strong, and, and Dominic Driscoll. Um, and he had this little silly poll and it kind of came out of that way. Dom, Dom uh, discounted himself. Um, <laughs> 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 and, um, and it, yeah, it was just a bit of fun, but it, uh, weirdly it stuck. So well, I guess there's worse things to be known as. Yeah. So do you have, uh, I, I guess if, if you and Colin are both the nicest men in beer, there's no hard feelings between the two of you, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Colin. <laughs> Quality. But well, it's, it's great to have you on the show, Andy. And uh, I've, I've been watching the elusive uh, journey from afar. But I'd, I'd love to start at the beginning. How did you get into brewing? And can you share the story about setting up Elusive Brewing? Yeah, sure. It, was, it kind of started as a homebrew hobby uh, that got out of control in many ways. Um, I had some early forays into homebrewing in the late 90s that weren't particularly successful. <laughs> and um, then I started getting more into beer around about uh, 2005, six, And um, I was working in London at the time. And I'd always liked my real ale and my best bitters. And we were working near this Belgian bar in London. Um, and used to start go, going after work and drink Belgian beers. And then then the rake opened 2010-ish, 9, 10. Uh, I used to go in there and discovering all these kind of new beers. And then the Colonel Brewery opened. And that was kind of a Saturday morning pilgrimage each mm. week to the Colonel. And, um, yeah, I started to really um, become fascinated with with ingredients of brewing um and started to brew at home around about 2012 um and it kind of took off from there really so then i joined london amateur brewers which is a homebrew club that used to run out of um a pub by tower bridge uh, the draft house as it was um and um then it moved to you brew and um yeah, I think it ended up, I don't know it ended up in the end, but, um, and yeah, it, that obsession just took off really. I wanted to brew every style I could and learn about all the various ingredients and styles of beer from around the world. And, and it was pretty obsessed at that point. And in 2014, the Craft Beer Co ran a competition, um, which was pretty, um, it was a big deal at the time, um, insofar as the prize was ridiculous for a homebrewing competition. It was uh, £5,000 cash and your beer brewed at dark star with national distribution as one of their monthly specials which is pretty crazy and i was lucky enough to win that oh wow um, and, wow i didn't know that yeah pretty amazing that was um an american red ale which we now sell as our level up which is one of our core beers um and yeah when i won that competition um my wife was on holiday at the time uh, with her mum and um i kind of rang my mum and it was outside the pub a little bit tipsy uh, it was at the Craft Beer Co in Islington, which sadly closed recently. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I said, I've won, I've won, I've won. So what did you win? I said, the homebrew competition. So I don't know you homebrew. Um, and, and she says, well, what have you won? And I explained the prize. She said, well, what are you going to do with the money? I said, I'm going to open a brewery. And little did I know just how much money it would be, as you know, Nick, how much it costs to actually open <laughs> yeah. a brewery. Uh, and um, yeah, it was pretty, uh, you know, it, it took a little while, but we did get there. And Elusive opened in 2016, having jumped through the hurdles of many different leases and trying to secure premises and all the challenges they're in. And we ended up opening in 2016, uh, dead opposite Siren Craft Brew in, in uh, Finch Hampstead. I knew Darren at the time. And we were meant, we were due to open in Basingstoke. Um, I live in Fleet in Hampshire. So they're kind of equidistant, I guess, but we saw Basingstoke as a good opportunity at the time. Um, no, well, there's one other brewery over there, big um, commuter town, uh, lots of footfall. And, uh, but sadly, we couldn't secure the lease, so it fell through. And I saw the units in Finch Hampstead and uh, I spoke to Darren and said, Darren, would you mind if we set up on your doorstep? And he was like, no, you know, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere. If, if there's more than one thing out here, more likely to get people out. So, um, you know, go for it. And um, anything you need from us, um, let me know. And he's been true to his word from, from day one. Wow. So you, you're still neighbours now? Yes. The Siren have um, expanded massively in that time. Um, I mean, uh, back then they were, uh, I think in 20, they opened in 2013. Um, and they started out with two, they're around the other side of the estate um, where the brewery is and where we are is their tap room and warehouse. Right just across the car park. Um, and they started out with two units and it became three, then four, and then they got the second unit. But it's all been quite, um, a, yeah, quite a, a fairly steady growth curve for them. Mm. Um, and just recently they've installed four uh, quadruple brew tanks. Amazing. A new um, super swanky cannon line that can yeah. can our entire capacity in about 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're on a, a trajectory really of, of, of a really stable growth so, so are, are there other food businesses around there um that have set up as well like you know like um, pizza places and that kind of thing there's actually um there's a, an american candy place um that we've been trying to get to open um, they import american candy and sell it on wholesale hmm. and the, the the guy who does their sales came in the tap room a couple of weeks ago and ruth was talking to him and we're now on their wholesale list and can buy this candy <laughs> yeah. in but uh, that, that's the only other one I'm aware of uh, that's kind of food related. Right. I'm surprised because I, um, I, I used to work at the Sheffield Brewery Company. And when I moved in there um, a few months later, this is like 2016, um, a few months later, um, Peddler Night Market, which is like an artisan food market. Um, it was a pop-up thing at the time, I think, moved in opposite. And then that area, Neepsend, just absolutely exploded um, with people setting up, um, you know, breweries and bottle shops and eateries and all the rest of it. And it was be before then, it was literally just like industrial, well, not an industrial state, but just an industrial area. I mean, I remember I used to work for a building contractor years ago, just around the corner from it. And like the only thing down there was the crusty cob, which, you know, is a <laughs> um, little cafe and that and, and the gardener's rest, which was the, the pub that the brewery owned. And that, that was it. You wouldn't go down there. It was rough as, whereas like now it's booming. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised actually that there's not more like, on that let's just say yeah i mean maybe I hope, hopefully they will be in in time i mean siren do uh get food trucks down to their tap room and um so we do have some kind of mobile food businesses that, that pop up each week um but um yeah you know who knows hopefully in future that that kind of area will grow because it's they're building like you wouldn't believe um there's it, we're right right next to the a former um, army garrison at arborfield 
uh, and they're building something like 3,000 houses. Uh, they're bulldozing all in. So the, the footfall potential is huge for us. Mm, yeah, totally. So there's a lot of aspiring brewers out there and people that actually to the show that want to set up a brewery uh, themselves. So can you just, w- when you were setting up Elusive back in the day, if you can remember, because obviously a lot of time between then <laughs> and now, uh, and a lot of things happen when you're in a brewery day in, day out, let alone over five years. Um, but you, you must have spent a lot of time in like, you must have spent a lot of time meticulous. You must have spent a lot of time meticulously planning the brewery back then in those early days. I, I guess two questions: like um, for anyone listening to this now that's thinking, "Oh, I, I want to set up a brewery or um, expand my brewery or, or look to grow," um, what consideration should they make when they're putting those plans together? And how would you say that your plans for Elusive differed now from what you originally set out to achieve? That yeah, that, there's a lot of. Um ways in which I could answer that. Um, I think to, to tackle the, the first bit, I think um, the advice I give, um, because of the, the journey I took and it being, I guess, well-documented in that sense, um, you know, I do get approached fairly often by people looking to start up. And I think the, the advice I always give is kind of develop your market before you brew your beer and mm. um, have a plan. You know, um, Don't just brew the beer and hope people will come. I think back in, you know, talk about Sarah in 2013 and uh, I'm weird people we worked really closely with back then and um, you know, there weren't many, many brewers around then and, and it, it, there was definitely uh, and they were, won't mind me saying that it was definitely an easier path to market than there is now uh, when you've got some very very large uh, craft breweries that are owned by multinationals and uh, producing insane amount, insane amounts of beer so I think yeah if you're starting up like figure out what your market is uh, engage with it um, early and go and talk to your potential customers and bring them along with you as you as you kind of start that journey and start to, you know, build the business and open the business. And, um, and also, um, now more than ever, um, direct retail is re- really important. And mm. having a, if it's not a tap room, some, some function from which you can sell beer directly to the public and, 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 you know, become part of that kind of local community, uh, in the, the geography where you're based, you know, you know, make make your presence known to the people local and let them know you're you know you're their local brewery and come and see us because I think that's a, a, a particularly over this past year eighteen months uh, in these pandemic times that's been a an absolute lifeline for us and um, I think without that we would have been in dire straits to be honest. Yeah. And how would you say your plans then have differed now in comparison to what you envisioned originally? Um, yeah, I mean, I mentioned the. The pandemic word there. I, I, I'm, I've always been quite risk averse and quite analytical. Uh, my previous career was um, in IT, and I was uh, analysing lots of data and looking at. I used to work on live sports streaming, um, and quite you know looking at ITV Player earlier. Uh, mm. That I used to work, actually work on that product and, and the the video distribution on the content delivery side, and that was all about data analysis and and making sense of millions of lines of data to making performance improvements and things like that. And that kind of, when I started out, um, I was very analytical and, and as a result, quite risk averse. And I set this really specific set of targets for our first year. Um, and I got to the end of the first year and Jane, my wife's like, well, how did you get on? You know, I said, well, we hit all our targets. And she's like, well, what's next? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and then from then we kind of, you know, bumped along a bit, a bit. We added a couple more tanks and, um, and I hired a part-time brewer um, and we kind of kept going for a bit. And then um, 
the pandemic came along and I just hired a full-time brewer, um, Ricky, who's been with us just over a year now, but was furloughed for a chunk of that because um, I was ready to push on in 2019, um, yeah. 2020, sorry, where's the time go? Um, and then, yeah, then the pandemic happened and, and you know, I, at first um, I was quite, um, I came in like many small business owners, I came, came home, we locked the business up, we emptied the tanks, packaged what we could, um, locked the business up, isolated the mains, the water, locked everything down, um, came home and sat on the sofa and I, I just burst into tears. I was like, what, what, what happens now? And James like, well, you know, take your time, um, have a think for a bit and then figure it out. And, um, and yeah, we decided to kind of, well, let's, let's open a web shop. Let's engage the local community. Let's make a, a big noise online and let's leverage, go back to our roots with the home brewing and let's we publish some recipes, work with the Malt Miller to get the home brewing community, um, you know, show our support for them. And, and we kind of um, came up with this plan of, which was kind of multifaceted, but when we came out of lockdown in, like August, September, um, we were in a really good position. Um, and I, I, part of me feels a little bit guilty about that because I know a lot of breweries have struggled, but we kind of um, adapted as much as we could. And we developed this online shop. Um, we were doing local deliveries and it was could have been like 50, 60 a week. Ruth was then as my friend helping me out. She was furloughed from her job. Um, and we kind of just, it, things just took off. And, um, and we got to kind of October. November last year and then the, the second lockdown came and, and as we've emerged this time you know the same you know, we're still in, in doing really well and we've managed to hire Ruth full time uh, and we're really pushing on and I think that what the pandemic has taught me is to be less risk, risk averse because you know we survived that and we thrived under that really intense um, testing period mm. and that maybe I should be less risk averse and take the old gamble so um, yeah like we bought a canning line um We've got some, we bought some more equipment uh, and we decided just to push on and, and now I'm planning, you know, later this year to do even more expanding. So yeah, I, I'm kind of looking forward with, I mean, it's been a rubbish time for a lot of people and it's been a rubbish time for, for me and many others like on personal level, but I think I'm very happy with, the, with where the business is now and, um, and I'm really happy with the, the, the people we've got on board now yeah. working for us and, and that, you know, we're really a really small but capable team that can really push on. Mm. It's interesting what you say there about um, your plans diverging from, I guess, just sell, selling beer to, you know, bars and yeah, exactly. pubs and all the rest of it. And uh, I saw a tweet from Craft Beer Channel earlier saying how they'd noticed how a lot of the pubs that haven't got customers in haven't managed that transition from being what how I would deem it as an, an analogue business to having a, a digital arm to it you know the website doesn't have opening hours it's not easy to go book a table if you can book a table at all and all these little things and um you know I've, I've worked for in various sectors throughout the years and um if, if you don't adapt quickly to technology you get left behind I used to be an estate agent for my sins and um, I remember when company got bought out by I think it was the largest property plc in the uk at the time and uh, so this this family owned company got bought out the directors cashed in their chips and went back to living in their mansions or whatever and um, all of a sudden overnight the plc came in it's like right we're digitizing everything and some of my colleagues that work there they you know they're in their 50s and mm. early 60s it was just like meltdown they couldn't cope with you know having to use the d digital diary 
because everything yeah. had been in paper by, uh, <laughs> by this point. And it's just like the wheels fell off so fast. Being in the beer industry, you'd talk to landlords in pubs and it'd be kind of like, um, when you're delivering the beer on horse and cart then, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> mm. I don't want any of them newfangled motor cars coming around here. You know, and it's because it was, they just couldn't kind of get with the modern times. And I don't mean any disrespect to anyone listening to this, that's that might be a bit more of a technophobe, but um, unfortunately in, in this day and age, in this stage of the pandemic, or I don't say moving out of it, but we're truly entering the digital age now. I think. Yeah, I think so. And and the um, you know the pandemic definitely brought home the power of e-commerce. And um, I mean, I I remember reading some figures when the, towards the end of last year about how much it had grown and how you couldn't get cardboard. We struggled actually could, because they couldn't make enough cardboard boxes to ship. Yeah, the, things, <laughs> um, the couriers were all slammed and. Uh, we were quite lucky in that, um, right, that, that kind of first week of lockdown, uh, Siren, um, Andy Nolan came over. He's their uh, head of marketing, uh, Siren. And he's like, anything you need. And Jason, their operations manager, is like, anything you need, like, just shout. And I said, well, how do, you, how do you get courier contracts? And he's like, right, ring this person at Parcel Force. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, and oh, well, here's a load of boxes because you'll need these. And uh, just so helpful. And, um, you know, I think we were, and we adapted quite quickly, but definitely another leg up from Siren on that front. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And I looked at, we do, I produce a monthly sales stats and look at what we're selling direct to pubs, what we're selling wholesale, what we're selling uh, walk up and what we're selling online. And seeing that grow as a percentage through last year, got to December last year when we were back in lockdown. Locally, we were tier four, so we couldn't, couldn't open. Um, and um, yeah, it was like December 2020 was 90% web sales. Um, and as a as a figure, like an absolute figure, it was up like sixty percent on the December before. And that's all just through adapting um, and having the product ready to ship, and you know start canning and all that. Yeah, I think we were um, quite lucky that we were able to move quite quickly on yeah. that stuff. Well, where do you think it leaves independent bottle shops and stuff in all this? With yeah, we, 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 um, so throughout the pandemic, we tried we supplied. Anyone that, that wanted beer to trade, um, brass small pack, we, you know, we did our best to get it to them. Um, and we were able to use our career for that as well. So, and the local places that supported us along, you know, we, we, if they wanted stock, it was there for them throughout. So it wasn't a case of um, trying to cut them off and look after ourselves. It was trying to find that right balance. Um, and, you know, we, we, to be honest, I didn't feel before the pandemic um we weren't really doing much small pack we were we just opened the tap room at the end of 2019 we did a little bit of bottling by hand uh, and very fortuitously when it got to the start of march i just because february, january and february of, of 2020 i was on my own because my, my former part-time part-time brewer had left and ricky didn't join us until march i was just slowly getting some stock together did some bottling help, help by my dad and um and we just restocked our small pack in bottles so we, that's what, what kind of got us through the first couple of months of the pandemic mm. we had two pallets of bottles and we, we packed and sold those was it all like bottle conditioned or yeah exactly right yeah. it's all looking and then when we, got to, so we sold all that and then we started brewing again in like May May June time um, and realised that we just couldn't bottle enough um, it was just too slow so we started contract canning so sending beer away in an Arlington um, right. big giant bagging box um, off to can it in Bolton. We still use a little bit. And they would send us back, um, you know, 180 cases of cans. And um, we didn't really look back. Once we, we saw the demand was there for the cans, 
uh, we got that the we were lucky enough to get a 10k small business grant um, and I got a rates rebate because I managed to merge my two units and they owed me some back rates and I just spent it all on canning line that we bought second hand uh, from Three Hills up in Northampton and um, drove my van up to go and collect it and they stuck it in the back for me and uh, yeah I haven't really looked back on that front. I was talking to a brewer recently who um, just recently got a canning line. It's and it's it's not a very big brewery either. Um, the way he described it was that the the canning line is, is sort of like far out specs the rest of the brewery. Um, <laughs> but he said up until this point, he was he was doing everything by hand, and every time like he'd sell a beer, there'd be part of him just like, oh no, you know, I'm going to have to like hand bottle all this or hand can it out. What it was, however he was packaging it, you know, please don't take this beer from me and then yeah. it's got you know the the canning lights just like i can whip, whip out um beers from tank you know i don't even think about it you know and um it's yeah it's you know it's it's hard when you're doing all that stuff by hand and i, I this part of me that finds it very therapeutic um most when it goes well i've had uh you know some bad bottle and canning days before um but you know when uh when it just comes off a line and you've got boxes and boxes of it and you don't have to think too much about selling it. You know, it's, um, yeah. that's, that's really the sweet spot, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. We were just, we were just kind of bottling small amounts at, at the time, but back in our, back in our early days, like 2016, 17, bottles were still popular-ish back then. Mm. I remember we got, a um, you know, the beer bots, the online beer drinking yeah, yeah. thing. And, um, Matt there, he said, oh, can we order, how do you fancy being on beer bots? I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. He's like, right, I want three and a half thousand bottles. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's, how am I going to fill those? <laughs> yeah, that's going to take me <laughs> a week. <laughs> Mum and dad came down and my wife, and we, we, I remember that us being there one Saturday. We were just bottling all this beer. <laughs> oh, I thought I'd Yeah, the, the canning, I mean, we've only got a, a little two-head manual car systems MCS. It's not, not mega quick, like 400 an hour, uh, but we still also do a little bit of... Um, contract canning for our, particularly for Oregon Trail, which is our best seller at the yep. moment. So uh, we physically send that away because we, we nailed the process for that beer um, long before we had our own canning lines. It's like, let's not change that. Let's just keep doing that. So yeah, we still do that. So, I mean, let's, let's talk about that beer because when people talk about elusive brewing, it's usually followed by the words Oregon Trail, um, which <laughs> is for any of our listeners that haven't come across it, is your West Coast IPA. Um, and I mean, it's been quoted by the great and the good in the world of beer as being one of the West. Westies out there in the UK in the beer scene at the moment. So, I mean, talk about how that beer came about, how long did it take to refine that process? And I guess what, if anything, has a flagship beer like Oregon Trail done for your brewery? Um, yeah, it's a good question. It definitely, I mean, we first brewed that beer, um, back in late 2019, um, and, there's a customer of ours, the West Street Owl House in uh, Fairham, and they approached us. They wanted to launch a beer club um, at their little, they've got a lovely little micropub. They said, can we come and brew a beer? And I said, of course, what do you want to brew? Um, so they want to brew a West Coast IPA. So I dug out, uh, my first ever homebrew recipe was a clone of Green Flash's West Coast IPA, and I re- always loved that beer. And I kind of dug that out and I went back to it. We designed this recipe for a West Coast IPA. Um, and... Um, yeah, and, and brewed it and we sold it. And then we got to the, uh, when we started doing the contract canning, uh, which was summer 2020, um, kind of in, in pandemic times. And um, we, we were, uh, I was thinking, you know, what do I want to do? So the first two we, we did, I was worried about DO and, you know, all those kind of transfer troubles. Um, 
So the first two we did were a coffee porter and our Kolsch style lager. I think those are quite low risk on that side. So we figure the process out and we'll mm. start with those two. And then it, they went fine. So we did the next two were a, a, a cloud we did revival for us called Anomalous Materials, which is a New England pale and Oregon trout. So I was thinking, we want, to, we want to brew an IPA. Let's bring that one back. So brew that one, put it into can. And um, we've now, I think we're on our fourth or fifth um, Arlington we've sent off to can it. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, it, I think it, it caught a lot of people's attention um, when we put it out, and a lot, I think a lot of it, a lot of people have asked about this beer and, and why I think it's been so successful. And I think at the time it was um, people were sat in their gardens at home, didn't go anywhere, and I think that beer was a bit of nostalgia. Um, it was like IPAs used to be kind of bitter, <laughs> bright, kind of golden coloured, not straw coloured, mm. um, and I think it, yeah, just. It, kind of caught people's imagination a bit and just reminded them of, of when times were a bit better um that sounds a bit weird to say but um I haven't really looked we, we've tweaked it a bit uh, we're trying to um because we we send it off and we, we are transferring it into a, a giant bag and box we tweaked a few bits to try and get more aroma into it because uh, it goes into tank at the other end and they they scrub oxygen off it which removes aroma and um so um yeah we, we tinkered with that um, using using some extracts and some hot oils and and now I'm fairly happy with where that beer is and um, and we're quite lucky in that it's become a really good seller for us and uh, yeah it, we get through a batch of cans in about six weeks and we just have to keep that beer cycling and, and you know, keep it on the brew schedule. Yeah, luckily it's it's dead simple hops and a simple grist and it's just a classic West Coast IPA. It's not nothing fancy about it. Really. Yeah, I'm glad West Coast IPAs are making a bit more of a comeback. Um, you know, it's it's kind of felt of late when I've had beers or been sent beers or whatever, the, the, there are so many hazy IPAs and don't, don't get me wrong. You know, I do like a hazy IPA. They're not my favorite type of IPA. You know, the West coast is the, my favorite type yeah. of IPA and it's just, you know, that big resinous sticking flavor and the aroma Definitely. you get with it. It's yeah. just, um, you know, it's, it's great that they are making a comeback, but I'd, I'd still like to see more of them really. I was it, I was it, um, the first beer festival in forever on Friday night at Twyford Beer Festival. It's a local um, charity beer festival that raises money for Orchid, which is a men's cancer charity. And they were able to run it this year. Um, they went through all the hoops to get approval from the, the health authority. It was kind of in a field. And um, and I was drinking uh, Lovey Bond 69 IPA. And I remember drinking that back in about 2011, 12. Uh, and, and I was drinking that on, on Friday night. And it just, it just took me right back. And it was, yeah, just that super, uh, that Chinook Columbus, that sticky, dank resin thing. Mm. Yeah, just a wonderful bit. Yeah, I um, I did uh, the Round Sheffield run on Sunday just past at the time recording this. Um, and Thornbridge have a bar at the end of it. So you cross that finish line and then there's, you know, there's a very, very welcome beer. And uh, I had a pint of AMPM. I don't know if you've had it before. Yes, um, I have, yeah. And, um, you know, I've not had it for several years it's just a straight up like kind of American hoppy pale ale, you know, with a, with a nice bitterness to it. And I was just like, you know, there aren't many beers out there at the moment that are just like straight down the line like this. Yeah. Um, you know, they're either like so super hazy or the, you know, the, they look like the pink and they look like brains when you open them or whatever. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of miss that straightforward nice beer that's you know there's no pretense about it it's just like 
no thrills, no spills. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so you've just turned five. Well, not you personally. Um, that would be a bit weird. The, the brewery's <laughs> just turned five. <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, and you, you did five collaborations with um, several breweries and with the Malt Miller. Um, yeah. So can you talk about those? And then it'd be great to talk about the competition that you're running with the Malt Miller. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, in the order we brewed them, the, the first one we brewed was... Um, with Double Barreled, who are a newish brewery. They're actually they've been. I saw Lucy post on their Twitter that they just they got their keys three years ago, and I think it must be coming up to their third birthday um, later this year. Mm. Um, so you know, compared to us, they're younger, uh, but much bigger. Um, and we've become I've become good friends with Mike and Lucy, and um, and um, so you know, when, when I was coming up with the idea of doing five collaborations, it was like let's work with people who've inspired us or um, been a part of, of our kind of adventure in one way or another. Uh, and I really want to work with, with Double Barrels uh, on a beer and they, they, we brewed a Belgian double because uh, they'd never brewed a Belgian style um, double. They'd brewed a Belgian pale before, but so it was, and we'd never brewed one. So yeah, that's, let's have a crack at that. So we brewed that beer. It was called Happy Horses, um, a 6.7 Belgian double. Um, the second beer was with the Malt Miller, um and yeah that was um i I talked earlier about um you know during the start of lockdown we released some of our recipes and worked with the malt miller to to have kits made and and, um did a bit of social media around uh, brew your own elusive um you know buy our beer brew your own version drink it at home and all that kind of thing homebrew sending me bottles it was fantastic amazing Uh, and when um when that when we looked at the fifth birthday clubs, like, well, let's do something for the homebrewing community. And I, I back going back to that competition I won in 2014, it was like, can we replicate that? Don't quite have the budget uh, that the craft bigger had at the time. But we decided to come up with an idea where um, there's a nice cash prize and, and vouchers with the Malt Miller. But the, win- the winning beer will be, um, or the winning brewer will brew with commercially at Elusive. Um, and if they are looking to go pro, we'll give them some support and guidance in that and we'll brand the beer as they wish and we'll use our sales channels to get it out there. Mm. Uh, so if there is, you know, I'm hoping, you know, if the person who wins it wants to take that, follow me in that, in those kind of footsteps, then I'm all for it. Yeah. We'd love to help them out. So we brewed, um, uh, so the guys, Robin and Reiki at the Woodmill are like, like a Belgian style wit. Um, so that's what we went with for that. And it, it's quite a challenge for a home brewer to, to kind of nail that style. It's very nuanced. It's not one you can just throw more at to get yeah. right. So, so we're judging that in a couple of weeks. That's going to be fun. Uh, the third one was with Weird Beard. Um, and that was, uh, I really like a beer. We, Weird Beard are a big start of our journey. And when I was at London Amateur Brewers, Greg and Brian, the founders of Weird Beard, were members of the same club. And they went professional in 2013. Um, and they brewed our first commercial beer for us. or was a collaboration and the first elusive branded beer was brewed there and so it was a nice um completing a circle you know having them brew out as part of our fifth birthday so we brewed a they've got a beer called follow the worms which was an agave kind of mexican inspired stout um so we did a bit of a riff on that uh, it was a yeah like a chocolate chili and vanilla uh, 8.7 stout bit of a mad one um the fourth one was with siren which is an obvious choice again yep they kind of you know been hugely supportive and we lean on them an awful lot uh and um 
we had a bit of fun with that. We brewed with Sirens Water. They just had a new filtration system installed. Um, so we had a bit of fun with that, brewed an American-style wheat. And the last one was brewed with Marble. Um, and, yeah, Joe Mars came down. We brewed a – I really like their Earl Grey IPA. Yes, um, yeah. We had this crazy idea of mashing together that with our Shadow of the Beast Black IPA, um, brewed an Earl Grey Black IPA. So those were the five beers. So, oh, wow. How did that turn out? It's it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, it's it's it's. I, I like it. We use Sabro hops, uh, which is a bit divisive. Just to throw that in there as well. Uh, but it, it, Sabro comes across as a bit kind of toasted coconutty in dark beers for me, a bit like Sriracha does. Mm. And um, but I think the tea, because it's slightly tannic, uh, has really pushed the roast forward, which we try. I like a little bit of roast in a black IPA, but it's definitely. It's more roasted than our black RPAs normally are, and that's because of the. I think the, the things just melding together. It's a really interesting beer. Uh, we ended up using some um, lavender extract in it as well, which is a little tip that Joe gave me to push the the kind of Earl Grey vibes in it forward. So it's it's really uh, it's an interesting. I'll send you some up. You can try it. Let me yeah, wow. uh, it's yeah, it's an interesting one. I love it. <laughs> Weird. I um, everyone's got to brew a weird beer at some point. <laughs> You know, on their journey, I um I did a collaboration when I was at Sheffield Brewery with Eyes Brewing. That the, they were a, a wheat focused brewery from Bradford, and um, they came down and we, we brewed a toasted wheat double dry hopped IPA. I thought it's going to taste great. This, and we got a stuck mash because I was like, let's like first work hop it, so we'll put a load of hops in the mash tun, and then they swanned off at six p.m. whilst I was trying to get the beer out of the kettle at long last into the fermenter <laughs> and it got all stuck and everything. And after, you know, this killer brew day, which lasted about 15 hours, I ended up with this really weird beer. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, yeah, we, we, people drank it. I was what you think, yeah, it's weird this, mate. So, yeah, we, there's, there's always room for a weird beer. We, we learn from these things. We do, we absolutely, it's, you know. Um, so just just coming on to this Malt Miller thing, I mean, um, obviously you said about the prize and so on. Um, I'd be quite interested. Do, do you feel like in the industry, um, do you feel like it does enough to mentor people or even encourage people through informal relationships to, you know, take that unique journey of starting a brewery for themselves? Because I remember when I first was starting that journey, being told either don't or what are you doing that for? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh... I, when, I, well, when I started, I did a, I did, I talked to a lot of breweries. I went, I went to see everybody local to us, and I'd met a lot of people in the industry, and spoke to them. And I, I mentioned Greg and Brian at Weirdbeard and some others, and Greg sh- shared all their business plan with me and all this kind of thing. I also did a, a, one of the brew lab courses, the, mm. the three day one that was run at Wimbledon Brewery. Um, but I don't know. It, it's, I think in a way you've got to feel your own way because every brewery, like every business, is unique and. You have to carve your own path somewhat, but I suppose um, if you look at, I mean, I'm, I'm the, the UK Beer and Brewing Professionals Group on Facebook is is trying to give that a little bit of guidance. Yeah. Um, so I'm one of the admins there, and we try and steer that group away from promotion and more towards kind of knowledge sharing, and mentoring, and that kind of thing. So I think resources like that are invaluable if you're looking to get started. But there could always be more. I think um, you know any anything that. Um, where brewers can share their knowledge and, and um, you know, that kind of saying, the rising tide floats on boats. Um, mm. I'm, a, I'm a subscriber to that. I think, you know, quality of beer in the UK has lifted incredibly over the past 10 years. And 
Um, and that's mostly due to breweries learning and working together. I think. Yeah. I mean, that Facebook group, um, I know for me personally, it was twofold. That's one of the reasons I started the Hot 4 podcast, um, just you know, being part of that group and wanting to give something back to it because it gave a lot to me, particularly when I was first at Sheffield Brewery, you know, and all of a sudden there was a load of other people I could ask for knowledge from and pick their brains and, you know, learn some things and unlearn some other things. Um, you know, and I would, yeah, if anyone's listened to this and they're not part of it, then definitely look that up on Facebook. It's such a, it is a good group to be part of. Yeah, it's a, it's a great resource, definitely. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm interested, you, you mentioned earlier, you recently brought on Ruth Mitchell uh, as your head of sales, marketing and events. And so she's worked for Utopian Brewing um, and Adnams as well. Adnams, yeah, and West Berkshire. Uh, West, well. Yeah, so um, some, some big hitters there. I mean, how, how have you found on taking a, a marketing manager and what difference has it made um, to your business having somebody who's dedicated to doing that for you? It's, yeah, um, we never really had much structure to what we did. Um, you know, I pretty much brewed what I wanted to brew. We had a rough idea of what our core range was and, uh, and I could kind of brew on a whim. Uh, what what ingredients we've got in stock? Let's make a let's make a brown ale or whatever. Um, so it's definitely given us more structure because Ruth is well, I mean, she's great at sales and is very organised and has um, yeah is now forward selling a lot of our beer, um, working a lot closely more closely with the wholesalers that we work with and making sure that we're planning forward as much as we can. So we, we've got a really good forecast on what we need to brew and when. Brew schedules are written forward two months uh, all times and um, that's been a big improvement and that's given us a, a lot more focus for sure. Um, on the marketing side, I think it's, you know, she's got a lot of experience uh, in kind of direct marketing and in the industry as a whole. So, you know, she does most of our social media these days, mostly at least Twitter to me mostly. Um, and uh, yeah, like, and that's made a big difference as well. So we kind of got a bit of a plan around that and we work out about you know what we're going to talk about each week and and have some some kind of structure to that, but try and keep it kind of informal. The social media doesn't want to be too formulaic. Um, obviously, the event side has um, not really got going again yet, but um, you know we're trying to um, part of bringing Ruth on it is we want to drive footfall to our tap room as much as we can, and we really recognise that as an important revenue stream for mm. us. And um, so it's like having some you know some planned, you know, let this week, let's launch this beer or let's do this certain thing and let's, let's create Facebook events and let's start to tell people about them. Um, whereas I never really did any of that before, mostly because I didn't have time. Yep. Um, a lot of my social media was done at this time of night. Uh, we're recording at like 20 past nine in the evening. And that was like my, you know, this time when I sat on the sofa, like, right, I better tell people about this beer launching this week. Uh, and it was, there was no structure to it. So we're definitely more organized now. And that's, that's been a big help. Yeah, totally. And uh, talk about your branding. Cause I mean, that whole eight bit look is really unique. It's, I mean, it's amazing. I love it. I mean, where, where did that idea originate from? Um, it's, uh, goes back to that very first brew with weird beard. So, um, I did a, a beer, which was in Nelson Sobin Hop Saison. It's one of my first homebrews, and Greg at Weirbeard really liked it. And when they launched, uh, they were doing a single hop series, and this was single hop series number two. Nelson Sobin was this mm. beer, and he goes, "All right, you need a you need a brewery name, you need a logo." I'm like what? So I spoke to my friend Kerry, who's a graphic designer, and he was like, "Well, what do you enjoy? What are you trying to draw out of me? You know, what what would be a good 
brand uh, for us. And we talked about my love of video games and he kind of ran with that really. And, um, and we ended up with this kind of nice eight bit brand, which is, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's, there, there are other breweries around the world that have got kind of similar thing, but it's definitely, um, it's quite powerful in, in so far as when other breweries do something vaguely related, people tag us in the tweets. They go, oh, this looks like a lucid brew. <laughs> so obviously yeah. people recognize that as being associated with us. So that's obviously it's working as a brand. Uh, plus we can have a lot of fun with it as well. I mean, um, we broadly, um, most of our beers are named after retro video games, uh, but we can riff on that a bit. We, we always kind of stick to the 8-bit um, artwork. Yeah. You got any plans for making one called Alex Kidd in Wonderland? Or <laughs> <laughs> we get a lot of suggestions for uh, video game, video games. We went through a series of um, collabs that were named after rooms in Jet Set Willy Two. Oh wow! <laughs> and we've got—it's quite funny because we, we, because of the way you know we tweet about the brand, and, and um, we built up this little retro gaming following on on Twitter, especially. And um, we 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 oh, there's the name of our new beer. We did one with beer, uh, Bruce Smith. Uh, in Berry called uh, Noman Looney. Uh, and so, oh, that's that room in Jet Set when he tell me, how do you know this? Oh, wow, that is, that's... <laughs> it's a game from 30 years ago and somebody remembers it. That's some serious niching there, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so ju- just moving on to a slightly more sombre topic, um, what do you make of the reckoning that's happening in the brewing industry at the moment, you know, with allegations of bullying in the workplace and toxic cultures and sexual harassment and I mean how, how do you think breweries employers and consumers should address the issues I think the first thing is to listen to them and understand them because I think as as an employer myself it's like um, you, you try and do the best by your employees and make sure that everyone's happy and looks after but you know I could be getting things wrong you know um, so listen to your staff and listen to people should listen to these allegations and um and they should be kind of investigated if by those kind of that have been uh, you know implicated in them. And I think um, it's good that these convers- conversations are being had. Um, if nothing else, it, it brings it to the forefront of, of the discussion, and hopefully those companies are listening and are addressing those issues with their culture. Um, because you know we talk about craft beer being inclusive and being forward-looking and forward-thinking, but it's clear there's some issues that need addressing mm. across the industry. And, uh, and I, yeah, I hope that, that um, not just those that have been pulled out, but every company should be looking at the way they, uh, you know, their policies and the way they manage their staff and, and you know, the way people are, are looked after, um, making sure that people are free to discuss anything they're not happy with without any repercussions and free to raise any issues or concerns they've got. Um, you know, that it's not, you know, I've worked in, um, some big multinational 50,000 employee companies. And, you know, they've got big HR departments that have that there. A lot of these small breweries don't don't even have anyone doing that yeah. HR function. Um, they don't really know how to deal with this stuff. And they, don't, um, they don't even think about it, maybe. Um, yep. So hopefully it's at least got people thinking about and brewery owners and, um, you know, and across the whole industry, got people thinking about, you, you know, how to look after people better and how to be better employers. Mm. There's a lot of pressure on business owners. Um, and I'm not excusing anyone of anything when I say this by any stretch, but um, just coming back to something we were saying before we hit record, um, 
earlier, like th- there's a lot of pressure on business owners to spin a lot of plates all at once. And I think it's very easy to say things out of turn sometimes. Um, but, you know, if, if you don't know your employees well or take the time to listen to them, you know, you, you don't know what, you know, is going through their head or what, what their background is and what their trigger points are. So whereas you might behave in a certain way and think, oh, and think nothing of it, somebody might be either offended or upset that you behave that way, um, partly because, you know, you're unaware of how you've behaved, but partly as well because, you know, of their own perceptions of other people's behaviour. And it's, um, you, you know, it's, it's a very tricky dynamic um, to be in. I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, um, I mean, in, in previous roles, I've been a people manager and a department manager and I worked for a big IT firm that trained me as a manager and I did kind of courses and, and you learn to listen and you learn to talk to people and, and, and spot spot when things aren't going well. But I think it's been, having now started my own business and we've been going five years, it's really easy to, when things don't go well, to take it personally and, and to to you know in your head you're like well that person's not they're not not done what i asked and you know the it's because they're not they don't care they're not listening and um rather than just taking that step back and go well actually you know back when i was trained as a manager it's like well maybe i'm not phrasing it in a way that is right for that person how can i help them understand what i want from them um and make it clear to them and and write it down and you know the old smart objectives thing and Mm. um you know try and be um you know try and manage people the way i was taught to um amidst that kind of pressure of running the business yeah and it's easy just to to kind of snap and and, and uh i mean I'm, I'm quite a calm person but it's um yeah i can i can see to your point where things can go awry sometimes but i think again it's back to you know taking that deep breath and spotting them and, and looking to you know be the best employees we can be and, and you know craft beer is um it's growing and it's it's definitely more fledgling compared to some of these big IT firms for sure. But it's not to say we, we can't be a lot more mature in our approach to things and, and, and be more, be more culturally. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Mature is the right word. You know? mm. If you don't you might have an HR person, but at least have that kind of function where there's a process. If someone's not happy, there's a process they can follow and you can have a discussion and there's no kind of, you know, they're not scared to talk to you or not, you know, feel they can't raise something. Yeah, and I, that I, guess, help anyone. I guess as well, um, you know, and I don't think we, as a culture, particularly in the West, we, we do this very well is, you know, so, sometimes we need to say, hold your hands up, say, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm really sorry I got that wrong. And, and yeah. you know, there's often a, a bla- well, it's a blame culture, isn't it? And, uh, you know, it's like the whole compensation culture and all the rest of it, rather than just, you know, I had, I had a um, incident with an employer once where you know they 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 treated me like really badly and said some really harsh things, and I think it was a in the heat of the moment type of thing. But it ended my time working there like re- really quite traumatically and badly. Two words would have helped that transition. I'm sorry, you know. Yeah. Um, but it, it was never said, you know, and then it's, you leave a place with a bitter taste in your mouth and, you know, and you can sort of see why, um, you know, p- people feel um, aggrieved by it, um, you know, because those two words um, can make a massive difference where you, if you're willing to acknowledge that you've been, you've wronged somebody or you've behaved in a wrong way. and um, Definitely. Yeah. And I think 
as part of this kind of the reckoning, as you described it, it's like a lot of it is recognizing it and, and acknowledging it. Um, because until you do that, you can't really address it. You know, yeah. Unless you recognize it as a problem. Uh, even if it takes someone to tell you this happened at your business, you know, you need to deal with this. Then, you know, uh, that's the first part of, of, of fixing things. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, kind of off the back of that, but looking a bit wider, um, where do you think the beer industry is heading over the next few years? Um, it's still, I mean, it's still evolving, isn't it? And I think, um, you know, we talked about the pandemic and as businesses, we've, we've learned a lot from that. Um, and that's given opportunity for some and has caused a lot of pressure for others. Um, and, you know, adaptability was, was the key thing, wasn't it, as, as we talked about. But I think as a whole... Um, you know, people talk about the, you know, there's a, there's a squeeze coming. Um, I think, you know, we'll lose some businesses this year as this, as this pandemic rumbles on and um, maybe things will plateau slightly, but I think there's still space in the industry for more breweries. There's a couple opening near us soon, which is cool. Um, and, um, you know, as an industry um, overall, I'm hope, hopefully, you know, things will mature as we said, and, and as come, you know, recognize that we need to be good employers uh, and we need to grow within ourselves in a way. And it, we're not just these cool, hip and happening places to work. You know, we, mm. we're employers and we need to be responsible and, and, and environmentally conscious employers, you know, and, and do, our, do our best there as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really much of a kind of soothsayer on, on predicting the future of, of the industry. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I think, you know, it's obviously here to stay. Um, and I think over the next few years, it will kind of bed, its, bed itself into, um, into you know, we'll keep chomping away at mainstream beer and yet there'll be a few more acquisitions. And, um, and I think that, you know, it, it's kind of, uh, we'll continue to grow as, as a business, as an industry. And um, let's hope that we can grow with it. Yeah, totally. Well, Andy, thanks for being on the show today. It's, it's been great chatting to you. Um, how can people connect with you? And more importantly, where can they purchase your fine beers? Um, no thanks for having me i appreciate it and um yeah the best uh so on social media we're at elusive brew on all the platforms um and elusivebrewing.com for our online shop or any independent traders you like to deal with um if you deal with them and they don't stock us then get them to give us a call there you go <laughs> happy days brill thank you well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.